This is episode 272 with physiotherapist, host of the Run Smarter podcast, and author of the new book, Run Smarter, Brody Sharp. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode explores how to prevent and treat running injuries. Joining us is physiotherapist Brody Sharp, who specializes in helping runners get and stay healthy. We're talking about the hidden causes of injuries, the issues that can contribute to you getting hurt that we normally don't pay much attention to, like stress. If you're frequently injured or not, but want to stay healthy, this episode is for you. The Strength Running Podcast features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. Because if you better understand the process of improvement when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash strengthrunning and find me on Instagram at jasonfitz1. Our home base is strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world, no matter how fast they are, with our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and our suite of training programs to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We're supported by Melon, a premium hat brand that I've been eyeing on Instagram for a very long time, and now I'm thrilled that we've partnered together. Get 20% off your first order at melon.com slash strengthrunning with code strengthrunning at checkout. Get yourself the last hat you'll ever need with the most durable, water-repellent, and stylish hat that I've ever worn. That's M-E-L-I-N dot com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning for 20% off. We're also supported by Inside Tracker, created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data. Inside Tracker provides a personalized health analysis from the most relevant source, your own body. Get your blood tested to find the rate at which you're aging, recommendations to optimize your health, and any physiological red flags that might be negatively impacting your running. Now you can get 20% off their entire store at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning with code strengthrunning. I scheduled an ultimate test for myself coming up soon, and it'll be interesting to compare with the test that I got this past February. You can get yours at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning for 20% off. Our guest today is Brody Sharp, a physiotherapist and runner based in Australia who helps injured runners get healthy and stay that way. He's the host of the Run Smarter podcast and has certifications from the Running Clinic, the Running Repairs Course, Sports Medicine Australia, and Athletics Victoria Run as a running coach. You might also recognize him from episode 207. In this episode, we're exploring the reasons for injuries and how to prevent them. He's covered this topic in some interesting ways in his new book, Run Smarter, which is now available on Amazon. Brody has a holistic approach to injury management, and as a PT who specializes in endurance runners, He's incredibly helpful at helping us runners stay on the road pain-free. You can also get our complimentary injury prevention email series at strengthrunning.com prevention. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Brody Sharp. 
All right, Brody. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I think you've been on now three times, which is uh, an honor held by so few. So I'm so glad you're here. And I have a blast every time. So thanks for having me back on. Well, you've got a new book out. I think it's been out for a month or two now. It's called Run Smarter, same name as your podcast. And we are going to have an interesting conversation about injuries today because you have some really interesting concepts and ideas here in your book about why runners get hurt, how runners can prevent injuries, and some of the lesser known reasons and causes for those injuries. And I think it's always helpful to sort of have that general understanding first before we get into how we actually prevent injuries, because we don't know what causes them. It's going to be much harder to then try to prevent them. So this is going to be really fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, education's number one. It's trying to have that understanding because when people do get injured and they're not too sure why, you know, you can't really change to reduce the risk in the future. You know, you sort of need to identify that reason and then change something because I've seen way too many runners just repeat the same mistake or pattern over and over again and they're not too sure because they haven't identified the cause and can lead them to, you know, injuries in the future. So education, very important. Yeah, let's start with that. So let me do one of my favorite things, which is ask you a very broad question, a very loaded question. Why do injuries occur? Okay. uh, If we are focusing on running-related injuries or the most common running-related injuries, we can look through the research and show that there's pretty much a, well, there's first of all, not one cause, but if we were to have a blanket statement, it would be due to an abrupt change in your training. And what we do within our training, what we like to do within our training is gradually push the envelope, gradually challenge ourselves. After that, we get this adequate recovery and we adapt because of it. The body goes through a great process of adapting, getting stronger, getting stiffer tendons, you know, being able to produce more force, handle more challenges. And that's how we like to develop as an athlete and, you know, get bigger, stronger and more resilient. But Where we sort of go stuck is in our training, we can have these abrupt changes that actually exceed or, you know, jump too much ahead of where the body wants to adapt to. And we have this, what I call this adaptation sweet spot. We can underload ourselves, we can overload ourselves, and none of those are great if your endeavors are to, you know, become a better athlete. But within this sweet spot is where the body really fosters. It has enough stimulus to trigger adaptation, but isn't enough, well, isn't too much that it exceeds that capacity and starts breaking down. And on the other end of that side of things is recovery because you need to train. You don't get stronger during those harder efforts. You get stronger during the adequate recovery after those training efforts. And so it's a gradual balance between the two, training load and recovery, making sure your training load isn't too abrupt, making sure your recovery is optimal. And if we find that nice balance, then we're reducing our risk of injury. I love it. And this reminds me of what my college cross country coach used to tell us all the time. He used to tell us to avoid the three twos, too much, too soon, too fast. And it's a great, very quick way of understanding this more complex topic of load management, right? It's don't do too much volume, too fast of a pace before you're ready for it. And it's a nice way of forcing runners to to think a little bit more critically about load and how to patiently add it to their training. Now, 
You also have a section in your book called the hidden dangers that can potentially cause injury. And I would love to talk about some of these lesser known reasons for injuries. So what can cause a runner to get hurt that that we typically don't think of when we're typically talking about keeping our training load under a reasonable level? Yeah. And so I write this as a chapter in my book because when people look at, when they are injured, they look at their training volumes and sometimes, most of the time they can identify what you've said, those, those three T's, uh, but sometimes they can't and they're like, okay, how do I learn from this experience? But there are some hidden dangers that you might not even focus on. Um, I will say when it comes to the training load side of things, Abrupt changes can also be terrain and it can also be, so maybe there's a fourth T in there. Uh, and uh, the other would be like an abrupt change in shoes that is quite common. Someone going from being accustomed to a traditional shoe or like a really supportive shoe and then giving some sort of minimalist or barefoot shoe a try without that adequate um, process, that adequate transition phase, because you can, you can transition to that. You can adapt to those shoes, but patience is required and sometimes runners aren't that patient. So uh, keep in mind those sort of abrupt changes can be a factor. But my chapter around hidden dangers mainly focuses on the recovery side of things. Under-recovering is what I would label it as. And most of those components within that under-recovering would be your sleep, would be your stress, and uh, to some degree your nutrition. Uh, your nutrition is like your building blocks that helps you recover. I would say most recreational runners sort of have that covered um, depending on what their overall training volumes are. Um, if you're just a recreational 5K runner a couple of times a week, you know, usually you'll supply yourself with enough nutrients. Um, but most people don't really consider stress or sleep when they are when they do get injured as a component for developing injuries or increasing your risk of injuries. And we can point to a lot of research, some that I mentioned in my book about, you know, following, there's a, um, a study looking at adolescence to show that those who reduce uh, their sleep by less than eight hours increase their likelihood of injury by 70%. And so these sort of things are really key. And there are some studies around the adult population that show there's a 14-day lag in your sleep, then your risk of getting injured is, is a lot higher. And we really need to respect that. We need to pay attention to it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because so many runners, when they get hurt, right, they pull out their training log and they start looking for clues. They put on their detective hat and all of a sudden they're like, okay, did I change my shoes too abruptly? Or all of a sudden started doing all my runs on trails. Maybe I increased my weekly mileage by 30% last week out of nowhere. But a lot of the times you look at your training log and there aren't those big red flags staring you in the face and your training looks kind of normal. It looks fairly average. It's what you're normally used to doing, but it's not necessarily the training that caused the injury. It's, it's the lifestyle around the training. So your training, you, you might be fine at that workload, but it's almost like if you go from sleeping eight hours a night to sleeping six hours a night, now you're not getting the recovery needed to support that training load. And that's when an injury can occur. Um, you know, I think sleep is, is one of those things where most runners understand this. And I think some of the studies on sleep are 
incredibly persuasive. You know, you mentioned one where if you start getting substantially less than eight hours of sleep, your injury risk goes up by about 70%. I mean, that is an enormous figure. And it really goes to highlight the effectiveness of a good night's sleep on keeping runners healthy. I'd love to talk a little bit more about stress because I've talked a lot on this podcast about how stress is stress. Your body really has a difficult time understanding between stress that you might be getting from a relationship that you're in, maybe stress at work, and then, of course, the physical stress of, say, training for a marathon. How can stress impact your ability to stay healthy or contribute to an injury? Because I think the mechanism behind it is, is sometimes a little confusing for us. Yeah. So if we go back to that training load versus recovery balance, we, we need to have that recovery to back up the training load. When you train, your body springs itself into action, increases heart rate, and sort of gets you primed for exercise. And to do that, it releases certain, certain chemicals and hormones. Um, noradrenaline and cortisol are the two main ones that sort of prime you for action. Gets your heart rate up, gets your um, blood pressure increased, and you know gets you ready to move. Stress, when you are emotionally stressed, those same two chemicals are released, those two same hormones. So when you're stressed, your heart rate's a little bit more elevated, your blood pressure's a little bit elevated, maybe you sweat a little bit more, and the body doesn't recognize the difference. It still thinks it's exercising, essentially. If you go into the physiology, it still thinks you are primed for action, you're ready to go, and you're um, not entering recovery mode. And so if we're looking at the training load side of things, it still thinks you're training. It still thinks you're accumulating this load and we don't have that recovery to back it up. And usually when we're stressed, we don't really sleep that well. So the body just isn't entering the recovery mode. And I use this concept in the book about um, a stress cup. You know, usually when you adapt, usually when you want to improve as an athlete or if you want to reduce your risk of injury, you want to load the body. When we uh, increase that load, it it uh, pours in contents into this stress cup. And when the body enters an adequate recovery mode, it then starts to drain contents from that stress cup. And this is where we want to fluctuate. We want to fluctuate so we fill the cup and adapt, we recover and empty the cup. Because if we fill up the cup too much and it starts overflowing, that's when the likelihood of injury and the increased risk of injury gets exponential. And so let's just say we go for a 45-minute run, the body recognizes that and pours that contents into that cup. If following that run, you go to a stressful environment at work, you're still not entering that recovery mode, so that content stays in that cup. You go home, there's a bit of family drama, you're really um, stressed, it starts to increase some of that stress in that cup or the contents in that cup. Then you go to sleep and maybe have an adequate sleep, maybe just a very, very average, and it drains you know, a quarter of that contents in that cup. Then the next day, you exercise again, and it pours more contents in and easily gets to that um, the brim and sort of starts overflowing. And that can be a process over days. It can be a process over weeks that just slowly accumulates. And so um, just recognize that the body doesn't know the difference between physical stress and, um, and that emotional stress because the same chemicals and those same hormones are being released. It's cortisol, it's noradrenaline, and 
we need to try, if we've recognized that, one thing that I highlight to my podcast listeners is if you recognize that, okay, I've just moved house or there's a death in the family or there's some sort of stress going on, my training load, it's not time to push the envelope. I should either keep my training load consistent and listen to my body or I need to back off a little bit because I know this isn't the right time to to be entering these um, sort of training phases. And so it's preactively making that decision, which is a very smart and sensible decision, but is worth it in the long run. This is really fascinating to me because it reminds me of why it's often so easy for people in their 20s to run really fast. And the older you get, the more difficult it becomes. Yes, of course, our bodies change as we get older, especially when you hit about 40 years old or so. But part of that is the fact that when we're in our 20s, we usually don't have the same level of stress that we might have when we have maybe a, a career that we're you know really invested in a decade later. Maybe we're you know having kids and we're married and we're dealing with all of the you know the, the stresses that come with that kind of, uh, of of a relationship and a family situation. And of course, the older you get, the more like you said, you know, a death in the family, those things start to happen. And even though we're talking about injuries right now, it can also be a good argument for the fact that, you know, all that stress is pretty, pretty terrible for performance, right? And if you have a low stress life, if you don't have a lot of responsibilities, it makes it that much easier to train hard, recover from that training, and then perform really well on race day. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And I'd also say like, yes, as you are into your 40s, you do have more responsibilities. You do maybe have more stressful scenarios. But we know from research from um, Dr. Rich Willie, a US researcher, that the older you get, the longer you require to recover, like the more recovery time you have or you you need to bounce back from a, a hard physical bout. And a lot of runners sort of try and train like they did in their 20s and they try and get back to their personal bests or they just say, you know, back in my twenties, I was training hard, you know, three or four times a week and running an extra two or three days per week on top of that. And I just want to get back to that. But you need to respect that the older you get, the more time your body takes to recover. You just need that a greater recovery window that might just be, you can still run, but it might be lower intensity. It might be more easier running days. Um, you just can't fight that, the makeup that, that happens when you get older. Yeah, this reminds me of when I used to think a 10-mile day was an easy recovery run done at about seven-minute mile pace. And (laughs) those days are long gone for me. (laughs) I need a lot more recovery now that I'm pushing 39 years old, um, and, and I can certainly see that. It also strikes me as very interesting that this is really a discussion about hormones and what's happening in our body with uh, epinephrine and adrenaline and some of these hormones that are commonly known as those f- fight or flight hormones. And I think if we think about recovery as partly a hormonal process, then that does let us think about it a little bit more effectively. And you know, then we can say to ourselves, okay, if I am feeling all of those normal stressful feelings that you get when you're super anxious you know, you're delivering a big presentation at work and, you know, you've been nervously sweating all day, that kind of thing. Though That's a hormonal response that is adding to your cup of stress, right? And something has to, 
something has to give in your life. It needs to either be the reduction of stress or it needs to be that reduction in training, right? Yeah. And this is why it's the hidden dangers. So I've labeled it the hidden dangers because people might not really consider it or even focus on it. Like you say, they focus on their training logs and they say, where's, where's, where have I gone wrong? I'm not too sure. Um, but when you pay attention to it as a, a hormonal process, then it's a, a little bit easier to understand the recovery strategies that you can have or ways that you can sort of bounce back. Because if you recognize stress as maybe hindering your training, um, then we can find ways to de-stress. You know, if you're not focusing on it, if you don't recognize it as a hidden danger, then you can't possibly come up with an effective strategy to negotiate it. And so mitigating the stress with, you know, breathing techniques or relaxation, meditation, all these sorts of things, trying to enhance your sleep, getting earlier sleeps, having naps, these sorts of things can really be an effective tool to unwind. Um, whereas people, they think they need to increase their recovery. So they're just foam rolling for 30 minutes or waking up 20 minutes earlier to stretch and like those sorts of things when, you know, the most effective strategy is probably just to stay in bed for an extra half hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you probably just need that extra sleep, that extra recovery. And yeah, it's a really interesting conversation about this because, you know, my understanding of recovery has evolved over the last even just couple of years and it's why I now talk about things like lay on the couch with a good book, put your feet up, relax, do some reading of like things like fiction, because they're excellent at just getting you to de-stress, to just have some enjoyment in your life where you're relaxing and you're not doing anything where, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking to yourself, I'm being productive. We need to move away from that sometimes as runners and just have times in our lives where we're just reading. We're just hanging out with our friends. We're having a good laugh. I mean, that probably is, is one of the best recovery tools in my mind because it is such an amazing stress reliever. So I have definitely become a little bit more, shall we say, holistic in my view of recovery over the years. It's not just the foam rollers. It's not just getting a good night of sleep. It's kind of managing the hormonal response to life that we all experience and when that response gets a little bit too high, when we're dealing with all that adrenaline from being anxious, some of those relaxation techniques like deep breathing, meditation, reading, laughing with your friends, all those things can be super helpful. Um, now, Brody, I also wanted to ask you about uh, this interesting discussion of personality traits that can contribute to injuries. Can you talk more about that? Because I think this is, is just fascinating. Yeah, this sort of dives into... Um personality of a runner and not, you know, there's different personalities for runners, but I have, I've been blessed to chat with hundreds, thousands of runners, a lot of injured runners, like on my podcast, I advertise this free injury chat that I have where people just discuss their injuries with me. And I constantly see these patterns. I constantly see, um, these training errors that might happen uh, overtraining, but it's, it seems to be quite personality driven. I just had a chat with someone yesterday who she's been running for uh, about 12 months and she signed up for a marathon in that, in the first six months, battled injuries the whole way. Uh, like that marathon just totally fell to pieces. She had to rest for, she couldn't walk for two weeks after that marathon and then signed up for a 15 K, you know, a couple of weeks after that. And so it's, it's sort of, prompts me to ask these questions like why are people so compelled to 
run themselves into the ground, run through injuries and, you know, try to um, push themselves to the limits. And I think most runners um, are sort of like this type A personality where they're very goal-orientated, very self-driven, self-motivated. Um, it gets them out of bed on a cold winter day just to prepare for that marathon. They don't need anyone to tell them to do it. They just do it um, because they love it. And I love that runners are so passionate. But in the book, I mentioned this. Uh, there's a certain chapter in there that talks about the self-sabotaging runner based on their personality traits. And that type A personality like this goal-orientated, self-driven runner, those certain traits can be great when you have that marathon, but can also quickly turn into things like stubbornness when facing an injury or the increased odds of them, you know, putting up with pain or running through pain or just trying to ignore it or, you know, just um, pushing themselves. And when they are injured, they're blaming themselves. They they hate being in pain. You know, pain's very closely linked to like um, – you know, negative emotional traits, you know, despair. And when they are injured, they're sort of down on themselves. Like, yes, I did this to myself, but as soon as they have a couple of days of feeling good, they're overtraining again. And then their injury flares up and they're blaming themselves. And there's this like repeated cycle that's driven by personality. And they actually have a lot of um, studies. I point to one in the book uh, where they look at athletes and they have them fill out these personality like questionnaires and one of those subcategories in the questionnaires was perfectionistic concerns or perfectionism and found that your increased risk of injury doubles for every one standard deviation increase in perfectionistic concerns. So if you are striving for perfection and um, the perfectionistic concerns would be like, I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let my teammates down. I'm worried about um, not performing to the best of my ability. Those will be perfectionistic concerns. And if you rate highly in that, your risk of injury significantly increases. So they're just personality tests. Um, but something that we need to self-reflect on, something that we need to analyze ourselves and say, okay, what traits do I have? What's serving me? What's not serving me when I'm pain-free, when I'm injured? What sort of traits um, do I need to focus on and you know self-reflect on because I think that's really important for sure. And, and some of them that you mention in your book are perfectionism, like you mentioned, also obsession, competitiveness. And I can't help but think that you know these these can be wielded in responsible ways, and they can also be used in irresponsible ways to undermine our own training. How do we strike a balance between our competitive instinct, our, our drive to be process oriented. You know, I think about perfectionism and, you know, on the one hand, you don't need perfect training, you know, even as someone who, you know, basically builds and designs training plans all the time, I'm always telling runners a training plan is but a roadmap. You don't have to follow it hundred percent. So how can we sort of strike that really important balance and, and use some of these personality characteristics or traits that are so common in the running population for our own advantage, for our own advancement, rather than letting them undermine our race performances and cause these injuries? I think it requires self-reflection uh, because everyone's different. Everyone has different drives. And let's just say if we use competitiveness, um, some people might use competition, like you say, to drive them, um, but some to drive them into the ground. It's 
de- it depends on self-reflecting and finding out what is serving you, what's not serving you in certain situations. Um, because we like to live in the heat of the moment. And like a lot of runners like to live race to race and they don't really look at the broad picture. And like I say, I, I have chats with injured runners all the time and they sort of tell me their story and I relay it back to them. And it's sort of like a light bulb goes off and I say, look, you've been running for two years now. You've been injured with a different injury every six months. And it's always been, you know, four weeks before a race. Why is that? Or it's always been, um, you know, I'll find a pattern and they have never thought about it before. And it's only just because we've laid it out. We've looked at the broader scope and we're sort of self-reflected on that pattern and why particularly that is. And, you know, they sort of come to this realization. So I would say self-reflection is key. Looking back over a longer time frame, looking back over your whole career and say, okay, am I swiftly negotiating my injuries or, or am that, or are they just like fluctuating? Do I have a flare up every three weeks because I decide I'm having a good week and push the envelope again and then it comes back? Have I been managing one injury for six months and struggling to overcome it? Why is that? Um, every, why am I going from race to race to race all the time? Um, why don't I just enjoy being out for a run without any sort of goal attached to it. It's, I guess, just honing in on our personalities and tons, you'll find tons of personality traits that you possess that are extremely helpful for you, that are extremely beneficial and help you move forward, push your goals, stay fit, stay engaged, stay healthy. Um, But there might be some in certain situations that might not serve you. So I think self-reflection is key. Yeah. I've had a lot of conversations recently with a whole variety of folks on the real importance of reflection in the training process for a whole variety of reasons. I mean, we're talking about it now to better understand how your personality interfaces with your training and how that can potentially cause you to make some rash training decisions. But, you know, you can also reflect on your training to see, you know, what your motivation level is like over the course of a training cycle and in so many other different applications and I'm always drawn to the fact that keeping a, a, an analog training log, a training journal, where you're actually writing things down by hand is one of the most effective training tools that you could potentially have. I'd rather a runner get a training journal than a foam roller so they can actually do some of this reflection work. If a runner is interested in doing this, they, they've got their training journal, they want to you know, look back on past training over the last weeks, months, maybe even years. Are there any clues or patterns that would indicate some of these personality traits that could potentially be causing their injuries? In other words, you know, what should runners be looking for if they're looking back on their training? And, and, you know, if the answer is you kind of have to be talking about how you're feeling about your training all the time, if a runner isn't doing that, what could they then start writing in their training log that would be then helpful for the future version of themselves when they were doing this, this detective work? Yeah. I think it's asking the question why behind certain actions, like you can have a training log where like you, as an example for you increased your mileage by 30% and now you're injured. Well, why did you increase it by 30%? Is it because you 
have a race that's coming up that's a bit too soon and you're trying to catch up? Are you facing an injury and trying to catch up? Were you just feeling really good on that day or that week and decided to push the envelope? Did you have a lack of guidance? Um, were you comparing yourself to others? Um, why did you train so hard? Like not just focusing on mileage but focusing on intensity. You might uh, look at your effort levels throughout those training sessions going back to your um, three Ts, uh, too fast would be one of them. And why did you run too fast? Is it because you feel like you're going to post it on Strava and the people are going to see it? Um, are you trying to compare yourself to another athlete? Are you trying to just, or did you just feel really good and decide to see how the body felt if you pushed the limits and now it's developed into an injury? So yes, you can find patterns on the training plan but it might not actually be personality driven. It could just be a lack of guidance, a lack of not really knowing. But it's you won't unde- identify that until you ask yourself why. Why did that error take place? Was it personality driven or not? And so um, I think once you can do that, then you can move forward with a different strategy. And so if you find that, okay, I ran too fast. I told myself it would be an easy run, but I ran too fast because I didn't want to post it on to Strava I wanted to have some sort of PB or, you know, impress someone. Then you can say, okay, well, next time I go for an easy run, let me just not post it. Let me just, you know, not wear my watch. Let me just run to feel. And you sort of just implement these other strategies to reduce your risk of those same hiccups happening um, in the future. I think this is super valuable. I'm also aware of the fact that many runners are not going to want to sit there and journal about every single run that they go on. Now, we're not asking for, you know, a five paragraph essay on, on every recovery run. Are we, are we just looking for maybe a sentence or two kind of exploring the why behind some of our decisions? How would you address that concern among some runners? Yeah, I would, I say this on my podcast all the time. Like people can really be overwhelmed with, you know, five different takeaways or five ways to train, you know, intensity, mileage, blah, blah, blah. And people can easily get overwhelmed, but I think if you learn more about yourself, all it takes is like just that self-reflection of, okay, why am I running too fast? And once you find that and just recognize that moving forward, it's only just one simple change. It might only be one simple change with you as long as you recognize that moving forward, um, then that's enough insight and enough change to sort of create that process. And if injuries keep happening after that, it's going back to that process. So it really needs just to be maybe a self-reflection once every couple of months. And it might take five minutes. It might take one minute. It might just take like every injury. Okay, let me self-reflect every time my body has some sort of pain signal telling me that I'm doing something wrong. Okay, let's self-reflect on that um, because we don't want to repeat the same mistakes over and over. It's what I've seen it all the time. People just get a flare-up of the same injury or just get injured every six months because of the same error because they're not self-reflecting. And so, I guess it's how much time are you willing to spend to not get injured in the future? If you put it that way, I think people would dedicate a fair bit of time. But what I'm saying is it doesn't need to be a lot of time. It just needs to be maybe one episode of, okay, why did that happen? Let me focus on that. I didn't think about it that way. Let me change it for the future. And maybe that's all the difference that's needed. And speaking of the future, now we get to get to the the fun part of the conversation where we actually try to answer the question, how do we then prevent injuries? Now that we talked a little bit more about why injuries can occur, I think primarily through errors in load management, but then there's always also these interesting 
uh, reasons that we talked about from a lack of sleep to too much life stress that you're experiencing. And even some of these personality traits that, you know, on the surface might be quite good for us, but also have this darker undercurrent that can force us to make some poor training decisions. And, you know, I think some of the reasons how we can stay healthy are evident in that earlier part of our discussion here, you know, let's sleep more, let's reduce our stress levels. But, you know, if you were to give me your, you know, two minute cliff notes version of how can runners stay healthy, what would you, what would you might say? I would start off by saying probably something you're not expecting that, um, we can't get our risk of injury down to zero. It's, you know, people try all the things that they can to reduce their risk and they're, uh, they're bummed or they're like down on themselves when they start getting injured. I would say that it's unrealistic to strive for if you're looking to push for a marathon and we have a reduced risk, you try and do everything to reduce your risk of injury and you still get injured. It's just face facts. Like we can't get our injury down to zero. There's always going to be some little thing that we, we do that might bring us unstuck. Um, so one injury prevention tip that I do have is early detection and effective management for these early signs that pop up. I have a whole chapter in the book talking about detecting and managing early signs of injury, but it's a bit more reassuring in the way that if something early does pop up, identify it, know exactly what to do to negotiate it swiftly so that you return back to pain-free running without losing fitness. That's my definition of injury prevention. And it's a bit reassuring in a way for a lot of runners who do have like, you know, things pop up and pains here and there. Um, it's just normal part of being an athlete. So I would say that's number one, effective uh, detecting early signs, knowing how to interpret those and then finding or learning how to effectively manage it, which is what the book's about. It's what my podcast is about and just acting swiftly in that case. Um, we've talked about the training load a lot. We've talked about how um, effective writing down your training can be because then you can look back and see what errors have been made. But even more importantly that we haven't really discussed is then forecasting what to do after that. So once you know what you can negotiate or what you can tolerate in your training load, you can then write down what you can tolerate next week and the week after by planning out these sort of things because people log what they do in the past. They, they log down what they've already done but then they just run to feel or run, let me just see how I go for tomorrow's run and then log that. So they're not forecasting and predicting what they should do. Um, so I would say that. And the other one is just learning from your mistakes. Uh, we've sort of mentioned that whether it's training load side of things or just um, personality side of things, it's just m make sure you don't repeat the same mistakes over and over. Where about personal development, like as humans, we sort of want to get better. We want to become better athletes but it comes from learning from the mistakes that we have. We can't get our injury risk down to zero so that when injuries do happen, we identify what that mistake was, do something different moving forward, and then that overall builds resiliency and you learn more about yourself as well. So um, 10 years down the track, when you've made 20 mistakes, you're a better athlete because of it. I am so glad that you started off with this giant disclaimer of there's always going to be some injury risk in our sport because you know, I love to talk about injury prevention that probably stems from the fact that I had a lot of injuries during my running career. Same. And yeah, no matter if we're talking about Achilles tendinopathy, plantar fasciitis, SI joint problems, muscle pulls, IT band syndrome. I mean, you name it, I've had it. 
And so I'm very much an, an injury prevention oriented type of running coach. But with that said, I never will claim that you, we can reduce your injury risk to zero, like you said, because anytime we are pushing the body to get stronger, faster, to gain more endurance, it's a really difficult proposition to do that without any risk of injury. I mean, we are trying to do very difficult things. If you're trying to run 26.2 miles as fast as you can, that's a really difficult physical feat, and it does carry with it some risk of injury. So I'm glad that we can just be very clear-eyed going into this discussion that there's always going to be a risk. And just because you got injured, it doesn't mean that you're a failure or that your coach is a failure or you have to completely revamp your training and start from scratch. A A lot of the times we can take a much more conservative route. And that I want to talk about your, your first point, because I think that was something that is so profoundly important, but also takes a long time to learn. It's learning to talk with your body and speak the same language so that you actually understand when something is starting, when something doesn't feel quite right. And, you know, there's this whole spectrum of, you know, from healthy to season ending injury Usually an injury happens, you know, very close to being healthy. You know, it's just this mild discomfort that doesn't feel quite right. And often we can push things too hard. And then that little mild discomfort turns into a niggle and then it turns into an injury. How can we better understand some of those signals, some of that communication that our body is trying to speak to us with so that we know, hey, I need to change what I'm doing today or tomorrow because this doesn't feel quite right. Hmm. Um, back to the start of the point about, you know, we, we are pushing the envelope and like, as soon as we push the envelope, as soon as we train for a marathon, like the likelihood of injury increases, just we face facts. We can train as smart as we can and we can actually reduce our risk of injury, but because we're pushing the envelope, that risk is still there. And it's almost necessary. Like um, I've, had a chat to Chris Brammer, who's a, a UK researcher a couple of times on my podcast, and I mention a lot of his work in my book. And he talks about like we need to, to have some of this micro damage in our training. We kind of need to train to have this micro damage that in order to stimulate the body to get stronger. Most people are familiar with DOMS. You, you, you know, do some bicep curls and you get that muscle strained. It feels a bit sore the next day because micro damage is there. A day after that feels a lot better. It's recovered and stronger because of it. Our training is exactly the same, but sometimes that micro damage, if if you train a little bit too much or there's a little bit less of a recovery, that micro damage can turn into macro damage, tissue failure, fatigue, injury. Like it just works its way up the scale if we're not getting our balances in in check. Um, so pain might happen. Pain might arise. There might be some stiffness and soreness in tendons, which. Um, is usually if we're talking about early detection, um, sometimes it is just stiffness, especially when it comes to tendons. Um, sometimes it's stiffness the next morning. Um, you said you've had plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendinopathies and those sorts of things in the past. You might be familiar that if you overload a certain thing, um, during your run, you might be totally fine once the body's warmed up, but it, it comes back afterwards. Um, you might notice that your first steps of the morning, you, you have that a little bit of stiffness. It's not pain, but it's stiffness. That's definitely an early sign that your body's reacting to something and that your training and recovery need to be enhanced in order to you know, adapt and recover from that and become stronger because of that. But 
a lot of people don't recognize these particular patterns. Um, so I, I would say if I had to try and summarize it, slight pain, some stiffness, um, but 24 hours, pay attention to it 24 hours after a particular training session, interpret why it's happened. Um, maybe it's, you know, heels or a footwear sort of change. Um, but if it's something different, you know, if it's, if you don't usually get pain underneath your heel or tightness or stiffness or an ache underneath your heel, and all of a sudden you have that something to pay attention to. I went into my book, I sort of tried to define a niggle, which isn't a medically defined term, but I tried to wrap my head around what are these innocent niggles compared to something that develops into an injury. Um, because I know, say like in the ultra community, they have pains all the time. They go for, uh, they compete in, a, in an event and they have back pain, they have foot pain, they have knee pain during their event and then they're fine afterwards. It's just a random fleeting pain that just never comes back. And who am I to say exactly what's going on or whether that's important or high on the, their relevance scale or not, whether they should intervene or have some sort of recovery intervention. You know, if it's if it never comes back, it's not that important. So trying to wrap my head around that, it's just, I guess what you said before, listening to your body. You know, listening if there are any aches, any pains, stiffness, um, sometimes pins and needles, sometimes burning, sometimes a loss of a slight loss of strength, like all these sorts of things that are just different. You need to document them. You need to really pay close attention to them. Um, plantar fasciitis is one of those things where people are like, you know what, I'm starting to pay attention to it now. Um, it's only just raised my level of urgency now, but I've had stiffness for the last two months. It's just been playing in the background. I haven't really noticed it. It's been so mild and so subtle that I haven't seen it as important, but it's been going on for two months now. It's one of those sort of things that, you know, you could intervene and be a lot more effective if you caught it early enough and done something about it. Yeah, I think catching some of these things early and then making very slight training modifications to sort of nip them in the bud and get them healed as quickly as possible, get you feeling normal again, is is like a runner's superpower. Because if you can catch these things early, you're going to reduce your injury risk so substantially because you're turning all these potential niggles into, into nothing instead of having them turn into actual injuries. And so, yeah, I remember when I was, you know, back when I was training, you know, 85 miles a week and, and trying to run really fast marathons, I would always feel something. And it was always a matter of just trying to change the training stimulus that initially caused, or I thought caused whatever was bothering me at that moment. So, you know, if I did a, a, a hilly run and you know, my IT band was, was giving me some problems at the knee insertion. I could tell it wasn't too severe. I would do everything in my power to change the stimulus the next day. So I would wear a different pair of shoes. I would stay on flat ground. I would run a much easier effort. Uh, I would, you know, maybe try to run on trails so that my foot strike was a little bit more varied. I would just throw the kitchen sink at this injury in terms of changing the stimulus that my body was experiencing, because I could then hopefully rebound a little bit faster from that potential niggle. And it, it was, it was a fairly effective strategy for me because I knew what tended to bother me the most. So for example, you know, I mentioned I've had plantar fasciitis before. If I could tell that that was starting to, to flare up again, I would avoid barefoot strides. I wouldn't be walking around barefoot or in zero drop shoes for a lot of time. So 
I would very much try to support my foot for a little while until that feeling went away, while at the same time trying to do some extra strength work for my feet and lower legs. And, you know, if someone asked me at the time, hey, are you injured? I would say, no, I'm dealing with a little something. It's not really impacting my training, but I'm just making some smaller modifications. Mm, an excellent point. And goes back to sort of my definition of injury prevention. It's early detection, effective management, and then swiftly negotiating that injury that you can return back to pain-free running without losing fitness because it's been that swift. And to your point, the earlier you can do that, the easier it is to overcome it. And like you telling those stories and those examples, it requires education because you might have ITB uh, pain around the outside of your knee and not know what to do. Like, But if you, you're educated, you know that running downhill increases ITB strain. You know that a narrow or a crossover step width increases ITB strain. You know that the repetitive nature over and over and over again, uh, so like road running where it lacks that foot placement variability can increase the strain. Um, so you've You've done those things. You've avoided hills. You've gone to the trails. But looking for a recreational runner to know those things is very rare and so requires a running coach like yourself or requires, you know, absorbing the run smarter sort of topics that I cover. Um, that's what we need to strive for. We need to strive to be a little bit more intelligent and um, have that wisdom to sort of know what to do moving forward. I'm always fond of saying knowledge is a competitive advantage. And I think this is a great example of actually having some of that knowledge around not only the general injury process and how to prevent and treat injuries, but also you individually and your personal likelihood of coming down with a certain injury. You know, what injuries you might be more susceptible to than others. You know, I know for me, IT band syndrome is my injury of choice. If I'm going to overdo my training, I'm probably going to suffer with some sort of IT band issue as opposed to, say, you know, runner's knee or, or PFPS. I just don't really get that injury is probably because of the way that I run and my, and my mechanics. So, you know, I, I don't really have to worry about that, but I get plenty of things that I do have to worry about and, and I make some slight modifications that way. Um, and it can also impact so many other aspects of your training too. You know, I can actually look at a pair of shoes and see just from the look of it, whether or not that's going to bother my IT band because of a lot of trial and error over the years. And, and I think that trial and error process is, is part of this education that we're talking about. You know, like we said, you're not going to be able to prevent every single injury that you have. And in fact, a little bit of muscle damage and even an injury every now and then can be a wonderful learning tool to help you advance your running. Hmm. I think my audience is so over me saying, well, it's just trial and error because I say it so often. And especially when they're coming back for an injury, it's like, oh, can I, am I back? Can I try a run? Like my knee's feeling a little bit better. Can I try a run? Well, it's just trial and error. Let's, let's start with something sensible, give it a go, see how symptoms feel throughout the 24 hours. And if successful, then let's try again. Let's, you know, increase the load. And that's sort of what I do when I work with my runners. It's have a hypothesis make sure it's a sensible one, but, you know, trial something out, challenge yourself a little bit, see how symptoms feel and then move forward. It's, um, it's a good lesson. You put on your scientific hat, you run an experiment, you see what the results are, and then you move forward because of it. You can't learn without mistakes after all, right? Exactly. We've said before, like, you know, 
injuries are going to happen. Injuries are a way of life. Um, we do have those rare examples where people have ran for 10 years and haven't got injured, uh, but that's we shouldn't strive for that. It's, it's too rare for, to strive for and too unrealistic, frankly. Um, but I would say sometimes those runners that you might see on social media that's like, oh, I've ran for five years and I haven't had an injury, they're probably not pushing themselves in the same way you are. They're probably content with, you know, 20 kilometer per weeks, four times a day, uh, four times a week, and, you know, just not wanting to push the envelope or run any faster or any further. They've just kept to their consistent stride just because that's what they love doing. So everyone has different goals. I just wouldn't be too annoyed if these injuries are coming your way because it's just a, a part of the sport. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Brody, this was really fun for me. I, I love talking about this topic, and uh, I think we covered it from an interesting perspective today, some areas that we don't normally give a lot of attention to when we talk about stress, when we talk about um, you know, some of the, the, the sleep issues that can contribute to injuries, as well as some of these, these interesting ways of preventing injuries. You know, I, I feel like we talked about injury prevention from this interesting perspective of you're not going to be able to prevent all your injuries, but here's how to better manage all of these niggles as they arise so that they don't really turn into those season-ending injuries. So I uh, really enjoyed this, Brody. Your book, Run Smarter, is just a treasure trove of helpful insights and actionable ideas for runners. So folks should definitely go check it out. I will include a link to it in the show notes as well as the Run Smarter podcast. So Brody, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast and sharing your expertise. Always a pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening in, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. For those who want to stay healthy, don't miss our free injury prevention series at strengthrunning.com slash prevention. I'll share the top mistakes runners make when trying to stay healthy, how you can avoid them, strength routines I recommend, and more. That's strengthrunning.com slash prevention. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. We're supported by Melon Hats, quite possibly the best looking, most attractive hats I've ever worn. Melon makes premium hats for both casual use and for running. You can get 20% off your first order at melon.com slash strengthrunning with code strengthrunning. They are durable, water repellent, high quality, incredibly detailed, and very stylish. You can also go check out our latest few videos on YouTube to see my full collection. A melon hat is likely the last hat you'll ever buy. They'll last practically forever. And I've had a couple hats that only last me a season, so I was thrilled to see the durability of a melon hat. But even if you find that you don't like your melon hat, no worries. You can return it within 30 days with no questions asked according to their perfect fit promise. Melon is giving our podcast listeners an exclusive offer of 20% off your first order. Go to melon.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning for 20% off. If Melon doesn't become your new favorite hat, send it back for a full refund. No questions asked. Again, that's melon.com slash strengthrunning and use code STRENGTHRUNNING for 20% off. Pick one up and let me know what y'all think. We're also sponsored by Inside Tracker, a company that's been around for more than 10 years to help you optimize your health, longevity, and your running performances. Learn more at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning 
and use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save 20% off on their entire online store. To live your healthiest, longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside your body. People age at different speeds, and generic annual blood work doesn't properly evaluate your biological age. But Inside Tracker does. Inside Tracker is a truly personalized nutrition and performance system designed to extend your health span and slow down that aging process. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercises, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. Add Inner Age 2.0 to any plan to calculate your true biological age and see how you're aging from the inside out. For a limited time, get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash strengthrunning. That's insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. Thanks for listening to the show, my friends. Don't ever hesitate to reach out to me via email. If you ever have any questions, I'm at support at strengthrunning.com. Or you can find me on Instagram at Jason Fitz one We'll be in touch soon. 